And uh, we are continuing a series called Wild Beasts. And this is uh, our third week of this series. And we're talking about the struggles that we face and the strength that we find. And the series is all about temptation. All about temptation. And not just about temptation, but how to overcome temptation. Because we have to realize, we have to understand that in life there is always constantly something fighting for our attention. Something fighting for uh, our emotion, something fighting for our desires, our ambition. There's always something fighting for our attention. And so what we have to learn to do, especially if we've said yes to Jesus, we've got to learn to say yes to what God has for us and say no to the things that are not of God. Now, you may be here tonight, and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never said yes to being a follower of Jesus. Let me just start by saying we're happy that you're here, and you don't have to believe the same thing as us to show up here and be welcomed here. We're happy that you're here. But I also want to tell you that what we're trying to do is to figure out the best experience that we can have in life. The, the fullness of life. The language of the Bible would be abundant life, which is life to the full. And, and we want to have that life. And we believe that saying yes to God allows us to have that fullness of life. And so whether you believe it or not, what, what we're talking about and learning these principles and learning these ideas, how to say yes to God and no to other things, will help us to experience this life to the full. And so when we're talking about temptation and, and fighting off temptation, that's our goal, is to experience the life that God has for us. Now, we began this series by talking about where, or more specifically, who temptation comes from. That there's a very real enemy of the follower of Jesus that wants to sidetrack uh, your life and, and, and keep you from experiencing the things of God. And then last week, we talked about what we called common temptations or temptations that are common to man. And this idea is we just broke down some very specific practical things that are very common for probably most of us that try to tempt us away from the things of God. Tonight, we're going to look at a very strong temptation, something that, that, that's, I think, common, but more than common. It, I think it's so strong that most people wouldn't even consider what we're talking about tonight wrong. That, that it's such a common temptation and such a common struggle that in our culture and in our world, it's become normal to give in to this temptation. That, that there's, it's been so flipped and so rethought in our world today that the things that the Bible says, you should actually say no to this thing, is actually what the world would say, no, you need to say yes to this thing in order to have the best life. And it's become something that we're not just tempted by, but it's a normal way of living. But we're going to realize that it actually is something fighting for our attention and keeping us from the best that God has for us. I've titled this message, if you take notes, counterculture. Counterculture, because that's really what we're going to learn to do in this text tonight. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, it says this. Now, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those, here it is, who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition." 
He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He says, but you, O man of God or woman of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of of many witnesses. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And God, we ask that you would speak to us in this time together. And as we talk about these temptations and these struggles, God, we pray that we would find victory in you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, this is a very common and very misunderstood passage of Scripture. I'm sure that you've heard somebody say that money is the root of all evil. And they say it to you like they're quoting scripture. In actuality, they're not quoting scripture at all. Because the Bible says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says that the love of money or the desire for money or, or really the need to have more is a root of all kinds of evil. So it's very misunderstood, very misquoted all the time. But the point of this text, the point of this scripture is to tell us really clearly that worldly possessions and worldly needs and desires will not satisfy what you're looking for. He's basically telling us that, that those that desire, or those that need more stuff, or specifically he says the desire riches or money, he says that desire will never be satisfied. It will never be quenched. I mean, how many times do we have to see somebody that has everything take their life early because they're unhappy, right? Another superstar, another celebrity, another so-and-so that has everything that like from our perspective, like you have a zillion followers on Instagram, you've got 20 mansions, you've got every car that exists, you've got it all, and yet it's not enough? Like what else do you need? Like what, what possibly more could you want? But there's this reality that stuff does not satisfy. And that there's this lie that this world is telling us that stuff will make us happy. If we just had more money or if we had just more followers on Instagram or if our photo just got a couple more likes and then we'd be in the next like set of numbers. Like just get to 100 or just whatever. Some of you are like just get to 1,000 or whatever it is. Like just a few more likes or, 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 or just a few more whatever. If I just had those new things or if I had that new phone or if I had this whatever, then I would be content for now, for 10 minutes, until the next thing rolls around. And there's this constant desire that we have for more. And this has been going on for centuries. I mean, this has been going on since the dawn of time. People needing and wanting more. They've pursued Stuff And what it is, is I think that we feel like our value is based upon the value of what we have. That our value is based upon what we... So if we live in a big house, we're very valuable. If we have the newest phone, we're very valuable. If we've got new shoes every month or we've got new whatever every week, then it shows everybody else how valuable we are. 
And we want people to know that we're valuable. And so we do whatever it takes in order to make people think or believe that we are more valuable or we have everything together. Now, let me stop right here and say that having money is not a bad thing. I mean, to be quite honest, having money is a great thing. Like, I could probably use a little bit more money. Like, it would be nice to not live paycheck to paycheck. Like, it would, not, it would be nice to, like, have something saved. Like, that would be great. Uh, so I'm not saying money is a bad thing. In fact, in the same chapter, if you would jump over, look at verse 17 of the same chapter. Same chapter. He just said the love of money is a uh, root of all kinds of evil. And then he says, command those who are rich in the present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. He doesn't say, hey, tell those that are rich to give away all their money and be poor. No. He tells them first, hey, if you've got a ton of money, don't flaunt it. Like, be, be humble with it, is what he tells them. But then he also says, use it for something good. Use it to bless other people. Use it to store up for yourselves. He, he says treasures or, or, or life, eternal life, which comes after. So if you've got treasures here and now, prepare for eternal life. So it doesn't say that having money is a bad thing. He says, use it for the right thing. So we got to understand that, that having money is not the problem. The problem is the pursuit or the temptation, the lie that having more stuff will make you happy. That's the problem. So he says, having money, if, if, if you walk out of here and your, your parents pick you up in a really nice car or your parents bought you a really nice car and you go home to a really big house and you've got all the newest stuff, don't feel bad about that. Thank God for it. And if you leave this place and your life is the exact opposite and you're like, Man, we, I'm not even sure like when my next meal is going to happen or I'm not sure like if, if we'll ever have anything but like the cheapest brand, store brand cereal and whatever it is, don't be mad about it. Thank God for what you do have and look for an opportunity in that season to be used by God. The point of this whole passage is not to make people feel bad. It's to recognize that what you have does not equal your value. The value of what you have does not equal your value. But the problem is that there's this constant need, there's this pursuit for more. And I started by saying that this is, this is not even a temptation. Our whole life revolves around the pursuit of more. Let me just break down your life for a second, just for a moment. Right now, most of you, all of you, are probably in school, right? Most people are telling you to get really good grades, right? Get good grades. And for some of you, you are like just overwhelmed by the reality that you have to get good grades. And the problem is your definition of a good grade is not the same definition that your parents or your teachers have of a good grade. You're like, passing is a good grade. And your parents are like, uh-uh, if it's not an A, send it back. 
right? And the reason is because they want you, they want you to have a good life. They want you to get into a good college, right? They want you to have a, a good degree so that you can get a good job. And so that with that good job, you can get a nice house so that you can have kids in that nice house and you can force them to get good grades so that they could go to a good college, so that they could get a good job, so that they could have a nice house to force you see what I'm saying? Your whole life right now revolves around the pursuit of more. The pursuit of more. And there's this reality that it's become so prevalent in our culture, so prevalent in our world, it's not even a temptation. It's not even like, oh man, I, have to, I really have to struggle with, with, with wanting more. It's not even a struggle because this is just what we do. And it's exaggerated in our consumer-driven culture where everything is about dollars and cents. A friend of mine works in, uh, in the like, apparel industry. I don't know if that's the right word and how to say it. Whatever the case, they work for a clothing company. And they received an email recently about a brand new marketing scheme that was about to go out. And they shared it with me. Listen to, this is what the, the company said about their next marketing scheme that was about to go out. They said, we want ads with more urgency behind them. For example, for example something like, quote, currently obsessing over this top. Ready for this? So girls feel like they need this and it creates a sense of FOMO, which is fear of missing out. So this, this company, they sent to their ad agency and they said, our next ad campaign, we want to stir up FOMO in girls, this fear of missing out to where when they see it, they feel like, I have to buy this thing. So, what, so whatever we can do and say to create this urgency inside of people where it's like, if you don't have this top, you're a loser. Whatever we can do to stir that up, let's do that for our next ad campaign. And that's not just one company, that's pretty much everybody that exists. Whatever they can do to get you to say, I, I need that, I have to have it, I can't live without it. What if I go to school and everybody else has it and, and I don't have it? I need this thing. And there's this reality that our whole world, our whole culture is driven around more, more, more. And there's this struggle that we face that if only we had more, then we would ha be happy. But the reality is, is what the Apostle Paul tells us, the writer of 1 Timothy tells us that you actually fall into a snare or a trap that drowns people and he says leads them away from Jesus. Look at it there. He says in verse 9, he says, those who desire to be rich, those who live for this pursuit, they fall in temptation and a snare. And to many foolish and harmful lusts which drown them in, in destruction and perdition, it says, for the love of money is root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness. That their pursuit of more stuff has led them away from their pursuit of Jesus. Their pursuit for more stuff has led them away from their pursuit of Jesus. This is a reality in our culture. This is the world that you live. When you go on Instagram, have you noticed this? Uh, let me just... Be annoyed for just a second, if, if I may. Have you noticed that you'll say something, like you'll say a brand out loud, and then all of a sudden you'll have an ad for that brand on your Instagram page? You're like, man, Taco Bell sounds so good right now. And then you open it up, it's like, 
by Taco Bell. And you're like, what? How do they know? Like, it's so weird. There's been times where I swear I just have thought about something and then it was there. Like, like I was just thinking, I'm like, I didn't even say that this is the devil. Like, how? But, but there's this, like, you open up your Instagram or you go wherever, and, and it's just, it's average. You need this, buy this, go here. Need, you, you need more, you need more. You need more. So how do we, as, as people in our day and age, how do we overcome that? How can we live the life that God wants us to live and, and really to, to deal with that desire for more and realize that it's not going to satisfy and focus our attention, focus our energy on the things that God has for us. I want to give us three things that will hopefully help us overcome this temptation, especially since we can't escape it. Some of these temptations that we've been talking about, the best thing for us to do is to stay really far away from it. But this one, it's kind of hard to avoid. Like you could, you know, like, yeah, throw your cell phone off a cliff, like move into a cave somewhere and like just buckle down and you won't, yeah, you can escape it that way, but the reality is most of us, we can't escape it, so how do we overcome it? Three things. Number one, we need contentment in Christ. Contentment in Christ. He says there in verse six, he says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he says in verse eight, having food and clothing with these, you shall be content. He like breaks it down to, to, to the essentials. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. The way we can overcome the temptation for more is to be content, not just with what we have, but with who we have. I think for a lot of us, for some of us, we go home and we just try to convince ourselves that what we have is actually good enough. And what many of us do is we compare ourselves to people's lives that are far worse than us in order to try to make ourselves feel better about what we do have. And we go like, well, at least we're not like the starving people in whatever. Or at least, I'm, at least I've got a bed. And like, at least I've got like air conditioning sometimes. Or, or, or whatever it is, you know, <laughs> until your air conditioning breaks. And you're like, what do you do? You burn the house to the ground and find a new home. <laughs> but it's like, it, so often, like, our, our best way for coping with things like this is to just compare ourselves to people that are worse than us. I don't think that's the best way to live. Because one, you're constantly looking down at people, which makes you no better than the people that have it all. And it, it, it's, it's even that, it takes so much work to just convince yourself that you're never truly happy. And so what he tells us is not to just like look down at other people and make yourself feel better. It is to learn to be content with who you have, that you have relationship with Jesus. First John chapter 4, verse 4, I love this verse. It's on the screen. It says it like this. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, which is outside forces and evils and temptations and difficulty. And he says, because this is the way you overcome it. He who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. I think, I think you could also say that he that is in you, what you have in Christ, is greater than what you would have outside of Christ. He says, he that is in you, what you have in Jesus is greater than anything else you could possibly have. And if you have Jesus, you have enough. Even if you have nothing else in this life, but you have relationship with Jesus, you can find contentment. And this is something we must 
choose. And this is also something we must learn. Contentment is something we must learn. Look, uh, many of you guys know this verse, but it's so applicable. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 says it like this. Not that I speak, again, the same writer, not that I speak in regard to need. Listen, for I have learned in whatever state I'm in. He's not talking about, like, geography. He's not talking about, like, whatever state, like, Florida or Arkansas. He's like, I've learned to be content. He goes on to explain what state he's in. Next verse, he says, I know how to be a base, which is to have nothing, and I know how to abound, which is to have more than I need. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and be hungry, both to abound and to suffer. And then he tells us how he does it. He says, next verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, I've learned to be content no matter what I'm going through because, I, because of who I have, because I have relationship with Jesus. And so in order for us to overcome the temptation for the pursuit of more, I need more, I need more, I need more, is to recognize that what I have in Christ is enough. What I have, relationship with Jesus, for me, is enough. The second thing I would say, not only contentment in Christ, but also would be eternal perspective. Eternal perspective. Look again there at verse 7. It's a pretty shocking verse. He says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. It's kind of a wake-up call a little bit. He said, we, we came here with nothing. I, I read one commentator on this text said, said we, didn't come, we didn't come into this world with a penny in our pocket. We didn't even have a pocket to put our penny in. Like when we came into this world, we had nothing. And he says, it is certain that we will carry nothing out. It's a heavy claim, but we know this to be true. I'm sure some of you guys in school have studied uh, the Egyptians and some of the ways that they lived and died. And the Egyptians believed that in order to have uh, uh, the best afterlife, you need to take all of your stuff with you into your tomb. Right? So, so if you were going to have a great afterlife after you died, the next life, you needed to start out with a good life. So you need to go into the afterlife with as much stuff as you can. And I'm sure most of us have heard of King Tut, right? King Tut is famous because his tomb was filled with the most stuff. In fact, it's estimated that he had over 5,000 items with him in his tomb. 5,000 items. Things like a solid gold coffin, a solid gold face mask, royal jewelry, all of this stuff packed in to his tomb because he believed that in order for him to have a good afterlife, he needed to take all this stuff with him. Do you think it worked? No. How do we know? Well, we found all the stuff, <laughs> right? Like we found it all. It's in the museums. You can go visit it. King Tut's tomb. You, you can see it. It didn't work. He was convinced that if he brought all this stuff with him, he would go into the next life happier. But in the reality is you die, you end, and that stuff stays behind. You can't carry it with you. But listen, you can send it ahead. You can send it ahead. You, you can't. Uh, this is a stupid story, but when I was a kid... I grew up in church, and I grew up hearing about something called, like, the rapture. Have you heard about this before? It's like when Jesus comes back. And I feel like, at least the, when I grew up, this was like, you, we talked about the rapture a lot. And when you're a little, and not that it's not, it's happening. Jesus is coming back. But it, it was almost like you were terrified as a kid. 
And I remember thinking about the rapture as a kid, like, Jesus, come back any minute. And uh, we, we were at our house, and we got a trampoline. And I love the trampoline. Anybody love trampolines here? Like, just tramp. Everybody's hand goes, of course. Who doesn't love a trampoline? And I remember being a kid, like, man, if the rapture happens and Jesus comes back, I want to be holding on to my trampoline so, so I, it comes with me. And I remember, like, after I'd bounce for a little while, and then when I'd be out of breath, I'd lay down, and I'd hold on, like, lay down, hold on to the back of the trampoline, just in case Jesus decided to come back, the trampoline, all of a sudden, I'm going to have supernatural strength, and I'm just going to fly into heaven <laughs> holding on to the trampoline, because it's coming with me. But th there, there's a reality. You, you can't carry it with you, but you can send it Ahead, What I mean by that is you can overcome the temptation for earthly treasures by living for eternal treasures. Recognize that your life matters and what you have currently matters and the way that you live now prepares you for your eternal life. Jesus would say, he would say, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And the idea is living for him, living with him, living in an accordance with what he says and the plans that he has for you. What it allows for you to do is store up treasures. In one text, in Luke's gospel, he says you will have money bags in heaven. <laughs> I like that idea. I picture like a bank robbery. Money bags in heaven, like the dollar signs on the side of it. Whatever the case, he says, there is something waiting for you when you enter into eternity. You leave this stuff behind, but you can be sure that you are going to go into something better based upon how you live your life. Now, let me tell you very clearly that having access to heaven and having access to the things that God has for you is not based upon what you do. It's based upon belief in Jesus. The Bible makes it very clear that it's by grace that we are saved, not of works, not what you do. It's by simply believing in Jesus and what he's done. But once you've said yes to Jesus, then how you live matters because you store up for yourselves in the language of Jesus, treasures in heaven. The final thing, you need to have contentment with Christ, you need an eternal perspective, but you also need godly pursuits. Godly pursuits. I love that this text doesn't just tell us to stop doing something. Right? Like, when I was growing up and, and went to school, I was told to stop doing things all the time. Like, I was that kid in the class that was always talking, always, always goofing off, always doing this, always doing that, and constantly my teacher's like, hey, Nate, stop. Stop it. Sit down. Shut up. Be quiet. Stop. 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 And I had a couple of teachers, one or two, that recognized how out of control I was and channeled that energy into good things. And so I had a couple, and, and those teachers were my favorite because they didn't just tell me, like, sit down, sit on your hands, shut up. They were like, hey, Nate, will you actually, will you run out and grab this for me? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll grab that for you. Or like, hey, Nate, I need, will you erase the board for me? Oh, I can erase the board. Yeah, for sure. And, and they would channel all of my out of control self or, or talking or they'd I mean, like, hey, you want to come up here and talk in front of the class? Now, I wouldn't do that, but they'd give me the opportunity. And it was like, if you want to talk so much, come share it with the class. You ever had a teacher say that? Like, what, what's, so, what's so important? You want to share it with the class? Like, no, no thanks. <laughs> but, but there were these teachers that would, that would focus that energy into something better, something different. 
The point I'm trying to make is, is the Apostle Paul here doesn't just say, hey, don't pursue riches. He tells us something to pursue instead. Look at verse 11. He, he says, but you, O man of God or woman of God, flee these things, the, the, the desires for earthly treasures, the desire for more money. He says, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. He says, flee these things, but don't just run away, run towards don't just run away bad things, run towards good things, or more specifically, God things. He says righteousness. The idea of righteousness is knowing what is right and doing it. Knowing what is right and doing it. He says godliness. This is things that are godlike, not, not in a weird sense, but things that are a good representation of God. Faith is trust in God. Love is receiving what God has done for us and giving it to other people. Patience, I mean, we don't have to de define patience. It's to be patient, right? It's like let God do his thing. Let time go by. And he tells us all these things. Worship team, you guys can come up here. He tells all of these things are a pursuit and a fight. Pursue, he says these things. And then he says in verse 12, Fight the good fight of faith. The word pursue, it literally means to run or to run a race is the idea of pursue. It's to run like you're, you're running a race. Now, I've never ran a race before, but I've seen people run races. And for the most part, like there's those people out there that just like, I'd be happy if I just survived through this thing. But there's other people that they're like serious. They got the little short shorts on and they got the number on. And they are determined, right? They've got their, like, belt plate, belt plate, their belt of water bottles. You've seen those? You've seen those people that are going out, you know, just for, like, a casual walk, and they've got, like, 20, like, juice pouches, like, ready to go, like, energy pouches for, like, the long one-mile walk you're about to take? Whatever. But you've seen those people that, that race, and when you race, you're running towards something. It's to seek after something eagerly. And then he tells us not only to run the race or pursue these things, but he also tells us to fight the good fight. The word fight, it means to contend, to struggle, to strive. Fight, he says, the fight of faith, the good fight of faith. The perspective, the point that he's trying to make is that it isn't easy to overcome these temptations. It isn't easy to overcome these temptations. We live in a world where it is quite the opposite. It, it, it's a lot easier to just go with the flow, to run the rat race, and just say, like, yeah, I need more. I, I need this. I need that. And if I'm going to be happy, I need to pursue those things. And he says, those who desire to be rich, they, they fall into a lie. that It can't satisfy them. He says, so instead, pursue God things, godly things. But you got to understand that it is a race and it's a fight. It's a race and it's a fight. Those are not easy words, right? Going, going on a racing someone or running a race, that's not something you just wake up like, yeah, I'm going to just run a quick marathon this morning. Why not? No. When you're running a race, it's, it's determination, it's seriousness, it's, it's, it's thinking about, it's planning, it's, it's preparing. And fighting the good fight. I was just talking to a student before that he, he's, a, he's a boxer, and uh, he was telling me about some of the things that he does to box and the training and, and the eating and the, the exercising and all of these different things that it takes and the stance and, and all of those. It's, it's not easy. I'm not trying to jump in the ring with him. Like, I'm not ready for that. 
Because it's something that takes work. And he's saying, listen, the world that we live in, the culture that we live in, is going to say, this is what matters. This is what, what you need. God says, yeah, those, those things are great. It's nice to have money. It makes life easier at times. It's not going to make you happy. It's not going to be the end all, like that 10 more followers or, or 100 more bucks or, or, or a bigger one more room or, or a faster car, whatever it is. It's not going to be enough. And so we have to make a decision and then be prepared for a race and a fight in order to pursue the things that God has. Because the opposing forces are strong and relentless, and so it's countercultural. It makes us decide that I have to go against the norm in order to pursue God. But he tells us that the, the end of that race, the end of that fight, he says, you will lay hold, verse 12, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confessions in the presence of many witnesses. He says, when you choose to deny those desires and say, do you know what? I know these things won't satisfy and the pursuit of those things are not what I need. He says, you'll have eternal life. He says, you will, you will experience the call of God on your life. In other words, God's perfect plan for your life. In other words, what you were designed to do. You know, so often we find ourselves, I know people that have jobs that make a ton of money and they hate it. Why? Well, it's because that's not, that's not what God designed you to do. God didn't design you to, to just have a lot of money and be miserable. God designed you for life for the full, to experience this idea of abundant life, the relationship with God, fullness of the things of God, the plans and purposes of God, walking in the life and the joy and the blessing and the refreshment and all of those things that is relationship with Jesus. Last thing and I'm done. I keep saying that, I'm sorry. Today I got to go to um, a school because Christian did an apprenticeship here at uh, Calvary a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago maybe, I don't know. But uh, it was a great week, and we just kind of shadow what it looks like to kind of day-to-day stuff here. And then we went to this luncheon this afternoon for all the different students that had these apprenticeships um, in different places. And it was really interesting because a lot of them said, or a couple of them said, like, it was a great time, a great internship, a great apprenticeship, but I know confidently that that's not what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> and just said, like, I got to have this experience and realize, like, this is, it's not for me. It's good for you. It's great for you. It's not for me. I think what the lie of, of our world and our culture is, is that if it makes a lot of money, then it's for you. Let me tell you that that doesn't matter. What matters is living in the blessings of God. What matters is living in your purpose and God's plans for you. That's what matters. And so the way we find that is he tells us, pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue love and faith and patience. Make that life your life. Make that idea your reality, and you will find yourself in a space and in a situation in life and circumstances in life where you know that, yeah, okay, I don't have that much money, but I'm living 
how God designed me. Now, some of you guys, God designed to make, for you to make a ton of money. Like, that's just you. Like, you're going to grow up, you're going to have a great job, and you are going to make way more money than the rest of us. Praise God for that. But don't let that be your source of value, and don't let that be your source of contentment. Jesus is always your source. Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith, love, and patience.